for others and for God's work in his ministry. As we go through the, the uh, section in Acts today, we'll be looking at Acts 18. And our, our thought is how God is working the Acts, show the Acts of, of the Holy Spirit, and how God is working through uh, men to bring his gospel to the world. And he's still doing that today. He wants us to be a part of that. So we can pray, we can see the model in Scripture, and we can pray that God will use us today uh, to get his gospel out. And that's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look, look and see what happens in this scene in Acts chapter 18. I'm looking at the first 12 verses there, so I want to just read through some of that. <clears throat> Acts 18, and after this... Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Rehearse in our mind what happened in Athens as he uh, presented the gospel in the marketplace and Mars Hill there. Then we come to verse 2. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them couple things of note. We've been talking about in the morning service, God's sovereignty over history. And uh, you, it, it'd be easy to go back there and to view what Claudius did in, in kicking out all the Christians from Rome. But we see God is sovereign over that, and he's using that to spread the gospel out even further. And that's exactly what happens here. It goes from Rome uh, to, <coughs> to the city of Corinth. That's where... Um, um, this couple is Aquila and Priscilla. Verse 3 now, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Here again a note, Paul is working as he gets the gospel out, and he uses his job as an avenue, as, as a connection with people. In this case, he connects with, with um, um, uh, people who uh, heard the gospel, respond positive, positively to the gospel, and can partner with him to give the gospel out. And in other ways, he can just use the gospel, uh, use a job, much as, as I think we should do today, is simply look for opportunities that God gives you uh, to, to speak to people or to connect with people. We, um, uh, Sunday was a good example of that. Um, Brother Willie Wallace brought a friend from work uh, to church, and uh, it's just good to see that. That's a, such an encouragement. And if you can just, that's a simple thing, invite somebody, follow up with them, and see if they will come as well so that they can hear the gospel. Let them know what to expect when they come. Tell them they're going to hear the gospel. They may say, well, what is the gospel? And then you have a good opportunity to speak to them and tell, tell them the wonderful news. Don't just leave it to, to the church, but take every opportunity you can to spread the gospel with them. Another um, example that probably is, it isn't seen, but I want to share with you. Um, Brian has been talking to people on his job, and you probably get this too. People who, you know, they, they talk to you because y you are a good person, and they, they want to, to share, and they, they begin to share some of their life and some of their issues. What Brian has done is recognize certain people who um, could use the counsel of God's word, and he, he referred them to me. In fact, he gave them a, a card and said, hey, here's a, a pastor that can help you uh, with some of the issues that you might be going through. I've had calls from two of those people and hooked up with them and able to just, you know, counsel with them and share the gospel. 
And so that's a wonderful way through your job that you can connect um, with, uh, with people. One man there, he, he surprised. He said uh, he probably wasn't going to call until he found out I, was a, I actually was a pastor. <laughs> that, that just seems strange to me. People get sent and they go to psychologists and psychiatrists and they go to all types of, of people. But they think you got to have some kind of label behind your name. To, uh, to, and, and, and then they'll talk to people on Facebook that have no qualifications at all. Give them all kind of advice. Um, and, and, and follow that advice, some of them. Some people don't even know what, God, what um, God-driven counsel is. They, they hear so much from the world. They don't know what God would have them to do. And I think we can interact with them. Not everybody, but God may send you. We just be praying this year, Lord, maybe it's just one person that you want me to speak with. Another example of that is my wife on her job. She often comes with... She's, her job is called a sitter. And uh, you would think a babysitter. Yeah, in some ways a babysitter. But she, she is on a job where people who have threatened or attempted suicide need someone with them in their hospital room so that they're safe. And she gets an opportunity. It's not every time. She says she prays that the Lord will lead her as to who to talk to and, and when to take advantage of those opportunities. But al- already she's talked to people. And, and one particular man came back after his stay several days later and asked to speak to her so, so that he could thank her for had her advice. Told this man something he would never hear from a doctor, from a nurse, from any medical uh, uh, care person, or even a psychiatrist or, or a psychologist. She told him about the Lord. They would never hear that. Do we really believe that that is the solution to people? And I know it's not always appropriate for you to do that on your job. But if you look for opportunities, God will open some doors and show you how you can share and how you can do that on your job. So that's what Paul, uh, he, he found, a, a, he had a trade as a tent maker and he found two, uh, a couple and he began to, uh, to talk with them. Notice as he goes, he's, he's working in Corinth and notice his practice, verse 4. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. That was his practice. Paul was serious about it. He took every opportunity. He wanted to speak to people, especially to the, to the, his, his, through his Jewish heritage, to let them know that the great Messiah that they were looking for had come already, and they needed to recognize who he was and receive him. Verse 5, let's go on. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. This is what Jesus said would happen when his um, disciples would, would uh, speak the gospel. He said they'd be rejected they'd be persecuted in their own places and this is what was happening to Paul and Jesus gave them an example he said he said shake the dust off your feet as a witness against them let them know that you have given them the truth and yet they have rejected it I'll be talking about this on Sunday but um, the 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 gospel God's word is a word of prophecy um, 
uh, uh, it's a word of judgment and it's a word of mercy. It's a word of God's judgment that is sure to come on those who reject God and reject Christ. And it's a word of mercy to those who would come and submit to him. Both of those things are a true part of the gospel. And um, um, we can see Paul gives judgment to those who reject. And he goes, he doesn't stop giving out the gospel. Look what he <coughs> says there, verse 7. And he left there and went to the house of a man named uh, Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. It's interesting. He's ministering at the synagogue on the Sabbath, and, and there seems to be a Gentile living right next door who probably started overhearing some of the things he was discussing. And this man is open to God. It says he's a worshiper of God. That describes a Gentile, usually a Gentile person, yet who, who is open to the God of the Jews. In other words, the Jews had it right in, in there being only one God. Um, but this Gentile kind of has a listening ear, and he wants to hear more, and he wants to, to, to worship and honor this God. And this is who Paul begins to talk to. Um, Verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Isn't that amazing? The Jews reject, by and large, but there are other people who hear the gospel and turn to the gospel. And, and, and some are mentioned there. That's so encouraging. Don't stop being a witness and a testimony. There are some people who, is, who God is still... Uh, uh, touching their hearts to receive the gospel. So keep on giving out that gospel. <clears throat> and the Lord, verse 9, the Lord said to Paul, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Let's say a few things about this. God encourages Paul. Now, I don't believe in just fake general encouragement. Hey, brother, everything's going to be well. That's not what God said here. God had a specific encouragement to Paul here, and there's a reason for this encouragement. If you follow Paul's journey, you recognize everywhere he went, um, he didn't have this, this message. You're going to be all right. Nobody's going to attack you. In fact, it was the opposite. People were attacking him in every city, every village he was going in, and he went from there to the next. But here, God says, okay, Paul, you can stay here because you will not be attacked here. So this is not just empty words of encouragement. This is truth, and this is what God wants done right here now with Paul. He wants him to stay there for a period of time in this city and minister. And so he stays there for a year and a half, and he's ministering the gospel there. And so, uh, you know, we, we, we need to be specific with what God is saying and truthful with what God is saying. And he doesn't say this in every case, that you won't be attacked. But here he says it to Paul to encourage him and to, to, um, to, to lead him in his plan for him right here amongst these people. What does he do? He's teaching the word of God among them. So we praise God as we see the gospel going out then. We know God wants the gospel to continue to go out in our lives. We want to be faithful in that. This year, we want to be praying that God will open doors for us 
We want to be looking for opportunities as individuals on our jobs, um, where we live, wherever we interact with people. Pray to God to open the heart of someone and pray to God to guide you in speaking his truth to them and then leave the results to him. He will touch hearts as he pleases. You notice in this instant, Paul got rejected by some, but then others right next to the, in, in the synagogue where he was rejected, right next door, God has an open door and there's a man there hearing the gospel. Now, Paul would not be attacked, but persecution would follow here even in Corinth, and we'll see that as that happens as we go on later on in the chapter. We'll pause here this week, pick up with it as we go on. Good evening, saints. I love God's word. God, through his word, he makes things clear to us. And if you look into his word more and more, you start to see, and it's kind of, I was thinking a, a lot about Paul's words when he was in the city of Athens, and he said that we might grope our way towards him as if we're struggling in the dark. But I believe as you become a saint, and especially when you meditate, it's like reality is a fog, but when you meditate on God's word, the fog starts to clear. And the strength of God's word, and, and here's the thing, since we live in the New Testament age, we have even more clarity than any other people that have ever been God's people. Because we have the Holy Spirit with us. And the Holy Spirit, he opens up that fog even more. In many ways, when the scripture said they'll all be prophets, in many ways we are. And I don't mean that, that you can go ahead and go tell the future, but what I mean is you talk to God, directly to God. Did you know that not all God's people could just do that? They had to go to the priest. They couldn't just go and just get forgiveness of sins. They had to go through somebody, and these were good, godly people. But through Jesus' death and resurrection, that way has been opened. And so we understand more than many of the ancients. We understand more than some who, in some ways, they walk with God because God's word is opened up before us, it's written for us. And the thing I love about God's word is as you get more clarity and you look at it harder, it's not so much that you just look at one verse and magical things start popping out of it, right? But you just start to make those common sense connections. But the good thing about it is as you make common sense connections and you tell somebody else about it, guess what? They didn't make that connection. And so it's like more fog dims for them. And that's the good thing about teaching is we take the scripture and we begin to explain it. And then we, it's not like a magician where he opens up stuff and he just kind of shows you stuff and you wonder how he did it. We're like the magician who shows you the, how to do the trick at the end. So you could do it yourself. You could take it home. And that's why it's so important for us to live lives of integrity so that we could take this word, we go home with it right? It's not so good to just be holy on Sunday or holy on Wednesday, but it's a praise that I see the saints that are in here on a Wednesday, even though I do yearn for more saints to be here. I can't deny that, right? You can't deny that. 
we can't deny a burning desire to see more people saved. We look at this room and we know that it is almost empty, right? But I yearn for the day when it's so full that we have to put more chairs in here. I yearn for that. I don't know what it's going to take for that. Maybe that's a scary prayer request. Maybe God is saying, okay, for you for that to happen, there needs to be persecution. For that to happen, there needs to be oppression. Maybe something's got to wake up the saints to get them to come where they want to come harder, right? They want to take it more seriously, but I'm still going to keep praying that even if that is a scary prayer. And so when I look at God's word, if you look at Hebrews um, chapter 6, we covered chapter 6, the first 12 verses at length. But if you look at the end of verse 12, what you're going to see when you go through the book of Hebrews is he makes connections and he introduces the next subject almost by just ending the last sentence. Look what he says there in verse 12. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now what's the next section going to be about? The promises. Right? The promises. And then look at verse 20. What's the last word that he talks about there? Melchizedek. So then what's chapter 7 about? Melchizedek. He starts to introduce a, a topic, and he introduces this topic of us inheriting the promises. And lots of people talk about the promises of God, right? Sometimes they say things as the promises of God that maybe are not promises of God. But promises are important. And so in verse 13, he says this. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. God said, I swear to God. Saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. In other words, when God promises it, it will come to pass. But that doesn't mean that it will not take for us some kind of effort. And the thing about it is, what I mean by the effort, we shouldn't be confused, right? We don't mean the effort to bring that promise to pass, because that promise don't have no... <laughs> if it, the promise is dependent on my strength, we, we shall all go home. But the promise is dependent on us waiting to see what God will do. In other words, God is starting a process, and he wants us to wait. And that's the interesting thing about God. He likes processes. He likes us to wait. You know he could have created the world in an instant. Why he take six days? You think it really took God six days? God wanted it to take the time that he wanted it to take. He decided beforehand how long he would take to do it, and he did it in that time. So every promise that God has, it will be fulfilled in its time. And we don't know when that time will necessarily be, but we simply know this. If God did promise it, it will be. And the only thing that's necessary for us for effort-wise is patience. So in verse 16, he says, for people swear by something greater than themselves. Right? You never swear, I swear on my shoe. No, you say, I swear on my son's life. I swear to God, people say, right? 
And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. But when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it by an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Now, that's a lot. But what he's basically saying, there's two things that we can always count on. One is he gave a promise, and the other one is he can't lie. He really didn't even have to make a promise, right? Once he said it, it was already going to come true, but then he doubled down on that and said, I promise. I swear. And all this is said so that we can have strong encouragement. Now, why do we need strong encouragement? Yeah, because everywhere we look, there's strong discouragement, right? God put that positive force out there because there's so much negative. Every time you go out in the world, you start to think, is salvation even possible? I'm serious. If you look out in the world and you see how messed up the city is, you kind of wonder, how could this ever be saved? It don't matter what perspective you look at. You could be an environmentalist. You can stand next to a nuclear plant and you could say, How could this ever be renewed? You could be a politician and say, How can these people ever change? You could be a nurse. How can we ever heal every disease? Everywhere you look, your work, it doesn't quite go as far as you might want it to go. And that's why we got to wait. We have to wait on God's promises. He said he will deliver. So we wait. And that's what meditation does, doesn't it? That's why we have to be quiet sometimes. Sometimes we simply have to wait for God to respond to us. We pray. But most of the Christian walk is realizing that even when God speaks to us, he waits. God wait a lot. We learn time is no object to God. But it, it not to say that. I guess that's not really true. It's not that time is no object to God. It's that God uses time as he wills. He's neither rushed, nor does he wait too long. He's not subject to age. But he does things in a timing that's perfect. He's like a musician who's playing the drums fast, not too slow. And in verse 20, he says this, I'm sorry, verse 19, we have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we'll look at Melchizedek next week. Any thoughts or anything on our meditation today? Pretty simple tonight. Let's just focus on two people praying for the finances and our goal to hit our goal at the end of this fiscal year. And then I will close this up. Before we come to you, we just lift up our church and its finances. We know that you are the one that provides and you're the one that keeps these doors open, the lights on. Um, 
we ask that you just stir up your people, continue to allow those who are giving to cheerfully give and stay consistent with their giving. We ask that you stir up the people that aren't giving, that they realize, um, realize that they are not serving wholeheartedly as they should. We ask that you continue to just um, help us as we move towards the end of this fiscal year that we continue to um, month by month cover the shortfall that we have in our finances that we can hit our goal and hit every um, obligation that we wanted to be able to allocate money to, that we can continue to keep this ministry growing and keep this ministry strong.